0: Welcome to church. Father, we thank you because we know that you are here. We give you praise, we give you worship. We exalt your name. Say, may your name be praised in Jesus' name. Father, as we read your word, we thank you because we know that you will speak to us as we read, as we listen, as we fellowship together today. What you have for everyone here, they will receive in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we are continuing with our theme for this month, outside of, you know, upon Zion anyway. Our theme for this month is the mercies of God. And the title of my sermon today is Broken. 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 Um. Last week, we learned a lot about the mercies of God and accessing the mercy of God through praise. Amen. How many of us are here? How many of us remember that praise was the major theme? Uh, God used His servant to speak to us about the importance of praise with regards to His mercies. <clears throat> and today, I'm going to be talking about brokenness primarily. I'd like us to open our Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 9, verse 15, just as a refresher. Romans 9, 15, Bible says, For he said to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Of course, here when Paul was writing, he was quoting from the book of Exodus, Exodus 33, verse 19, where God spoke to Moses and said these things to him. Let's open our Bibles now to Psalm 51, from verse 17 to 18. In fact, you can read 16, 17, and 18. It says, For thou desireth not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken spirit and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. Do good in thy good pleasure unto who? Unto Zion. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem. Who is Zion? Us. The church is Zion. David wrote this psalm after he had sinned with Beersheba, Psalm 51. And it was a psalm of repentance and brokenness from a man who truly loved God to the best of his own ability, but was also prone to making mistakes. Amen. But the beautiful thing about David is, apart from the fact that he was a man of praise, like we learned last week, he was a man that was very quick to repent. He had a very malleable heart. What does it mean to be broken? Or what does brokenness actually mean? Brokenness is a state. Is it what? It's a state. It's not a state that we are always in was well, the state that we should be in always. <laughs> it's not a state that we're always in, but it's a state that we should be in always. Brokenness is said to have occurred when a person is able to see or recognize their own depravity. Right? And they are desperate for the Lord Jesus. Those two things must have happened. You must be able to see your own depravity. And it's that depravity that will lead you to a desperation for the Lord. If that has not happened to you, you are not what? Broken. It happens inside. It shows outside. And brokenness is a necessity. It's necessary for you to obtain mercy from God those that don't enjoy the mercy of God in their life, is because they are not broken people. And today we're going to examine the life of two peculiar men. One more than the other, but we will compare and contrast at the very least. The first is a man called Judas Iscariot. The second is a man called Peter. What did they share in common? They were both disciples of Jesus. They also both did or committed acts that you would call grievous before God. One of them outrightly betrayed his master. The other one denied his master. Both wrong. Yesterday, when I was, I mean, last week, when I was giving you a hint into what I was going to teach today, I was asking you, what is worse, betrayal or denial? It's easy for us to look at Judas and say what he did was worse, but was it? Was it really? I don't think you can pick. Amen. But let's look at some things about Judas. The first thing that we can know about Judas is that Jesus knew that Judas was not one of them from the start. Jesus actually knew that Jesus was not his from early in his ministry, from the beginning. Because Jesus confirmed it in the book of John chapter 6 from the 70 to 71. I don't need you to open it because of time, but I'll just tell you what is there. You can write it down though. This was after Jesus had fed the 5,000. And the Bible says that the people wanted to make him king. So Jesus left that place. And Jesus crossed to the other side. And his disciples came to meet him the next morning. Then people came and found out that he was on the other side. And they came to meet him. Because he had just performed a miracle. He had fed 5,000 people. And it's 5,000 men that were recorded. We don't even know how many women or children. This was such an amazing thing. That naturally, human beings in our selfishness, what the Jews wanted was to Install him as their king. So he'll be solving their problem. You see, the Jews wanted an ATM machine. Or a 911 call center that they can easily just download their problems to. Without any sort of commitment. And Jesus knew So Jesus delivered one of the most visceral messages he had delivered in his entire ministry. And he taught them about how he is the bread of life but you see because they could not understand spiritual things jesus was telling them they should eat his flesh <laughs> and the jews were like that and the bible says that many left him and never returned it's interesting because it says many disciples left him and never returned meaning that apart from the 12 and you will see this throughout the new testament jesus had many disciples he had so many. In the upper room, it was recorded that by the time they got to the upper room, there were 120 outside of the 11 that were left because Judas was dead at the time. So you see, Judas had a lot of disciples, but a lot of changes happened in those three and a half years. And this time was one of the major changes. But where I'm going with this is when those ones left him, then the the 12 that were left now said, Through Peter, obviously, because he was the mouthpiece. so we'll get to him later. And he said, they said, and Jesus said, what about you 12? Aren't you also going to go? And Jesus said, where will we go? You have the words of eternal life. That's what Peter said, rather, to Jesus. And when Peter said that, Jesus asked the question, he said, did I not call 12 of you? Why is it that one of you is a betrayer? a traitor. That's what he said. And John makes a comment there that he spoke about Judas Iscariot, who would betray him. This happened over a year before the betrayal actually took place. So, the first thing we can say about Judas is Jesus knew very much that this one is not for me, was not with me. The second is that John And the other disciples probably knew that Judas was a thief. Because in the book of John, chapter 12, verse 6, and I'll also tell you what happened. This was when Mary brought the alabaster box and broke it. And the Bible says that the smell of it filled the room. And everybody knew that that oil was very expensive. Then Judas opened his mouth and said... That's why she's wasting this oil. That this is something that they could have sold and collected the money and given it to the to the poor. But even before Jesus replied to Judas to tell him, the poor you will always have with you, she's doing this for, in preparation of my burial, John wrote and said, and he did not want to actually give it to the poor because Judas was the one that held the purse and then usually he was he ticket from what? from it. Meaning that John was aware, even then, and probably with the other disciples, that Judas was what? A thief. They probably just didn't do anything about it because obviously they knew Jesus knew and Jesus wasn't doing anything about it either. The reason I'm pointing out these things about Judas is this. If you look through the New Testament, at no point in our interaction with Judas Iscariot do we ever see a man that is actually committed to Jesus in any way. Yes, he followed him, but we do not see a man that is committed to Jesus in any way. So, the end result of such a relationship was always going to be a form of betrayal. Are we following if, Jesus, if Judas did not betray Jesus the way he betrayed Jesus and of course obviously he had to betray him that way because of the prophecy Judas would probably have abandoned them once Jesus was what was gone because he was never really what with him Judas was never really with Jesus not in his heart. We have no indication that he was committed to him in any way. Even the disciples in the Bible that never spoke or uttered a word, we would see comments here and there made of them, or made of them in general, that will show that there's a level of what? Of commitments to the master, a level of belief in what the master is actually saying and doing. So you see, brokenness is not for the Judases. It's not. It's not in that there are a lot of people that go to church but are not actually committed to Him. There are people that have not given their lives to Jesus but they like religion. They are not really surrendered at all. But there's one advantage or the other that they are seeking. And so they are what? They are going. Whether that advantage is advancement, political fulfillment, because there are a lot of that going on today. Financial fulfillment. Whatever the case may be. the are people that are in church because they are looking for their husband. Or their wife. Not because they have surrendered to God. They are just what? They are in the crowd. They are following. For those people, a form of betrayal is their end no matter what. They will betray their Lord or the Lord they claim to be following. Once they get their hands on that thing. And once Judas hit the jackpot, the jackpot of what, of 30 pieces of silver, the jig was up for him. And his end was always going to be his end. So today we're not going to be focusing on the Judases. We're going to be focusing on Peter because we are the Peters. I hope we're the Peters and not the Judases. (laughs) I'd rather be a Peter, even with his flaws. Because you see, Peter wasn't a perfect man. So let's talk about Peter for a bit. Characteristics of Peter. Number one, Peter was committed to Jesus to the best of his ability. Please indicate and note that to the best of what? His ability. He was a bold and he was a daring man who naturally became the leader of the disciples, not because he had been appointed. That came later. But he became their natural leader because number one, he was the oldest. But number two, Peter was a very instinctive man. He lived his life by instinct. And on, on the surface, you might think, oh, that's a good thing, but that's not a good thing. Because an instinctive person that lives his life by instinct is someone that can be used by both God and the devil. And that's why you see that in the space of a few verses, the same Peter that Jesus was saying, who did they call me, who am I? And he says, you are what? You are Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, flesh and blood did not reveal this unto you, but my father in heaven. The same Peter that was a vessel, that the Spirit of God spoke through because he was the first to answer every question. Best students in class was <laughs> the same Peter. A few verses after, when Jesus announced at first that he told them plainly for the first time that he was going to die, Peter pulled him aside and said, "Lord, do not say this thing." And Jesus said, "Get behind me, Satan." Peter was an open vessel. In this state that he was, he could be used by both God and what? And the devil, in the space of a few minutes, Peter was a man who jumped into the sea and said, Lord, if you see you, tell me to come. Was that an act of faith? No, it was instinct. Peter lived his life by instinct. And yes, initially he had the faith to get on that water and start going. But because Peter is an instinctive man, eventually he realized what he was doing and he started to what? To sink. And Jesus held him and said, Why did you doubt? So he had good qualities in that he could run with what the Lord told him, but he could not run to the end. In fact, that move on the water was very, very particular. It was a very peculiar picture of the kind of life that he had, in that he could only serve the Lord to the best of his own ability. And he will always fall short. Always. In the state that he was. But these were not the problems he had. The greatest problem that Peter had was that Peter believed in himself. That's the greatest problem he had. Sounds weird, right? The biggest problem Peter had was he believed who? In himself. And this... It's very clear as we open our Bibles to John chapter thirteen from verse thirty six to thirty eight. John thirteen from verse thirteen from thirty six to thirty eight. The Bible says Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, whither goest thou? Jesus answered him, Whither I go, thou cannot follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. And Peter said unto him, Lord, why why cannot I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. And Jesus answered him, Will thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, The cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. Peter did what? He believed in himself. In the world today, I would say that Peter backed himself. You know, it's common, it's common language. I see it a lot. On Twitter, on LinkedIn, they say you should back yourself. Back yourself means you should, you should believe in yourself. You know? Back yourself. That's the expression. So it's like whatever you can do, whatever skill, whatever talents, you have to back yourself. I see it a lot on LinkedIn, particularly. because I'm on LinkedIn a lot. I see a lot of life coaches, 20-something year old, just graduated from NYSE. And they tell us to what? To back ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> but you see, Peter believing in himself is the very reason why Jesus knew that he could not depend on him. Do you understand? Jesus knew that I can't depend on this one. Jesus knew that I can't rely on what Peter can't rely on him. Can't rely on him. Because he believes what? Himself. When Peter was saying all these things to Jesus, he wasn't lying. He really thought that he could what? Die for the Lord. And in other accounts, you would see that Peter did not just do this. He even said, even if the others (laughs) even if the others do what? Abandon you. Me, I will not abandon you. In other accounts, you see that Peter, after he said that he will not abandon, the rest now joined their voice and said to we too, master, will not abandon you. (laughs) A rebel leader. (laughs) It's very interesting to read it. But it's because of this that Jesus knew that he could not depend on him. Because the final thing that we need to know about Peter before we actually look at the Lord's solution to Peter's condition is that Peter had great potential and even the devil knew it. The devil knew it. In Luke chapter 22 this same account. Let's go to Luke 22. And let's see what Jesus said to Peter. This was just before Peter's denial. Luke 22 from verse 31 to 32, it says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted... Strengthen thy brethren. So you see, Peter's leadership potential <clears throat> is something that's not just Jesus knew, but the devil also what? Knew. There was a target on Peter's back by the devil. And Jesus knew. And Jesus said, I have what? I have prayed for you. But the question is, how exactly would the devil have been able to sift Peter like wheat? Might not be the answer that you think. Because you might think that oh, sifting Peter like wheat is maybe after the denial, Peter just you know walks away and does his own thing. Not really. No. Because it was always in the heart of Jesus to reach back to his disciples when he came back. He will have found Peter somehow. Sifting Peter like wheat really is to let Peter remain in the state that he currently was, where he was serving the Lord based on his own strength and instinct and the things that he thought he could do and his ability and all his skills that he thought he had. Peter could not remain in that state. So the Lord provided a solution. And the Lord's solution was to create a situation that will allow Peter to receive mercy by breaking him. You see, you need to change your perspective about the denial of Peter. Now, two questions. Is denying Jesus a good thing? No. Was the denial of Jesus a good thing for Peter? Absolutely, yes. Absolutely what? Yes. Because if Peter did not get to this low point in his life, where he was able to see his own what? His own depravity. He wouldn't have become the leader that he became. It would have been impossible. He had to get there first. He had to get to a point where everything good that he saw in himself became rubbish to him. It became what? Rubbish to him. And everyone that wants to serve God and obtain mercy from the Lord must have this happen to them. We can look at Peter, but we see it in the life of Paul too. He says it a lot. With all Paul's education, when he was writing to the Corinthians, he said, you know, I I didn't come to you with any intelligent words. I didn't come to you with anything special, but I came to you preaching one thing, Christ crucified. Christ what? Crucified. Essentially, Paul got to a point where all the things that he thought were good about himself became what? Useless to him. His education His exposure. He committed career suicide. On account of who? Of the Lord. Brokenness has to happen to all of us. And when God wants to break you, it is that thing that you hold on to, that you think makes you special. That you think makes you what? Good or worthy. Worthy. able to serve that he's going to target and we all have that it doesn't show on our face it's not about how humble you look or how much sa or ma you say to somebody there's always something to break which is why it's a state because for peter to become the man that Jesus would be able to rely on, he had to pass through this thing. Which is why Jesus told him, he said, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now. But you'll be able to follow me what afterwards. What's Jesus talking about? He's not talking about heaven. He's talking about Peter becoming the kind of man that will suffer for him. That Peter in that state could not pay the price and make the sacrifices that needed to be made for the gospel to reach the places that it needed to reach. Peter could not do it. He thought he could. But ultimately he was a selfish man. Ultimately the love that he had for his Lord was corrupt. It was rooted in what? Self-serving and selfishness. But Peter could not see it. So did denial made him to what? To see himself. He saw what? Himself. I'm going to read two accounts of this. There are two accounts of this denial. And the first exposes something that happened externally. And I'll use it to teach you one lesson. And the second exposes something internally which you can learn from. And then we'll close for today. Let's look at the account in John for the external. Now, the account in John almost plays out like a movie in that we're switching from scene to scene, in that we're switching from where Peter is to where Jesus is being questioned. Then we switch back to where Peter is, to where Jesus is being questioned. This happened between verse 18 and verse 27. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'm just going to show you some things. Let's start from 15. It says, and Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did what another disciple. That disciple was known unto the high priest and went in with Jesus into the palace of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door without. Then went out to that other disciple, which was known unto the high priest, and spake unto her that kept the door and brought in Peter. Then said the damsel that kept the door unto Peter, Art not thou also one of this man's disciples? He said. I am not. And the servants and the officers stood there who had made the fire of coals, for it was cold, and they warmed themselves. And Peter stood with them and warmed himself. Let's get to 25. 25, and And Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. And they said therefore unto him, Are not thou also one of his disciples? And denied it and said, I am not. And one of the servants of the high priest, being his king's man, Whose heir Peter cut off said, Did not I see you in the garden and with him? Then Peter denied again and immediately the cork grew. Now you have to be able to examine all the accounts of these events to actually have a full picture. In that, for example, we read here that Peter cut off an heir but we know that Jesus healed that air. He reattached the air. Right? But if there's anything that I want you to gain from here, it is the fact that there was somebody else there with Peter, right? And that disciple is most likely the person that is writing this book, Apostle John. And how we even know that it was John is because John was the only disciple that was present till the end of this event because John was there when Jesus was on the cross. Nobody else was. Which was why Jesus was able to hand over his mother to John as a first son. Because it's a rite of passage in Jewish culture. That if the firstborn son is to, is anything to happen to him, he is to pass on the care of his mom to someone. And he passed it on to John the Beloved. And from that point on, Mary, the mother of Jesus, stayed with John the Beloved as a son but what i want to bring out of this is this as believers one of the things that we should avoid both externally and internally is boasting is what boasting when i say externally i mean among people when i say internally i mean even when you're on your own do you know why because That thing that you think you have the ability to do. Somebody else might have been given the grace to actually do it. The person might not know. The person might not be aware. And yet, that person, when push comes to shove, would do that thing better than what? Than you. Because you see, Peter was the what? He was the leader, right? He was the bold one. He was the one that was unshakable. No matter what, nothing will happen to him. John did not say he is what is anything. <laughs> Yet if you look at the physical trajectory of this story, who remained at the end? Peter or John? It's John. A lot of times what kills believers is when we start to experience a little. expression of God's mercy and his grace in our lives. We get to a point where we start to feel like, oh yes, this is my own. This is what I can do. And we start to open our mouths and we start to talk about it. About some ability or some skill or some gifting or some grace that is operating in your life. And you start to take ownership of it at the expense of even others. As Peter says, Lord, even if anybody abandons you, I will not abandon you. And in the end, he's the one that abandoned the most, because he's the one that God had to, Jesus had to go and actually restore. And it's so interesting how the Bible is written, because when you read through, you see that at some point after the death of Jesus, it says that and the disciples were gathered, and Peter. Read your Bible. Until Jesus went at the end of this book, John. To bring Peter, restore Peter when he went, when Peter went fishing and he went and said, Lovest thou me. And Jesus and Peter said, Master, you know I love you. He says, Feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my lamb. Until that point, after this betrayal, he was always referred to as the disciples and what? And Peter. Yes, he was with them physically, but something had happened. Something had happened. He had denied his master. So Christ had to go and what restore him, fulfilling what he said to him. He said, when you are what? When you are converted, strengthen your brethren. Yes, there's no doubt that he was still the one that was going to have to lead them. But he had suffered from a failure of what? Of belief in himself. Of thinking that somehow his strength can what? And carry him. His strength can do it for him. When we are like this, when we are in this state that Peter was, mercy will be very far from you. Mm? God's mercy will be what? Far from you. You can't experience it. You can't. Second thing that I wanted to show show you is in the book of Luke, the second accounts, which is an internal thing. Which is when the actual breaking actually took place. The moments that broke Peter. And it's in Luke chapter twenty two. Let's just read sixty to sixty two for time. The Bible says, And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately while he spake, the cock crew. The Bible says, and the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord. And we had said unto him, before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. The internal is that Jesus sees you. So if you read the story, particularly if you compare it with John's account, you find out that it was impossible for Jesus to physically hear what Peter was saying and how he was denying him. Jesus was out of earshot because, see, Jesus was dealing with his own problems in the front with the high priest. Peter was at the back, closer to the entrance into the place, warming himself by. The fire, because it was cold. And when you read your Bible, you have to read your Bible with imagination sometimes. It's necessary so that you can understand the events that take place. And when I read this place, even I, I shiver. I what? I shiver. Because think about it. Peter is warming himself by the fire, going about his merry deniers. And he denies the third time. And Jesus from where he was found Peter in the crowd. Of course, he knew where he was. And Jesus looked at him just to make sure that he gets that yes, you see what. See yourself. <laughs> the way I told you. This is who what you are. And the Bible says that Peter went out and wept bitterly. Jesus sees you. He might might be out of earshot in the physical realm. You might think that he's not there. (laughs) But he what? He sees you. He sees you. He sees you where you are. He knows exactly where your address is. He knows what you are thinking. He knows what you say that does not agree with what you are thinking. Amen. It's you, And you see, obtaining mercy from God, you need to go through this. And this part is not the pretty part. It's not the easy part. But if this doesn't happen to you, you are not in a state where God can actually what? Use you. And shower you with his words. With his mercies. There are some mercies like us like our teacher taught us last week, Mummy taught us, that are to every one individual. You wake up and you sleep, even the unbelievers do it. And the Bible talks about how there are things in this life that God makes the sun and the rain to shine to fall and to shine on both who the rich and the poor, the saved and the unsaved. There are mercies that God has to the entirety of humanity. That they enjoy, they don't even know. You are the one that knows because you are a yeah, believer. You're yeah, the one that can wake up and say, Thank you, Jesus. I slept and I woke up. There are people that they don't say thank you, Jesus, every morning. They don't say anything to Jesus. And God does not get angry at them and say, Tomorrow you'll not know, wake up. They still wake up the next what, the next day. Which is why um, Paul was saying it in the book of Romans, chapter one, that. That if only, and I'm paraphrasing here, if only that those that do not believe know that every opportunity that they have to take a breath and wake up is the what? It's the mercy of God. That is an opportunity for them to repent. Because God is not man. God is not your boss that if you don't greet him in the morning, he can fire you. He's it's not, it's not man. not your lecturer. A small thing, small thing. You have to bow. You have to bow. <laughs> you have to bow low. Even as a not undergraduate now, master student, be carrying his bag everywhere because you just know that that's probably the extra two marks. Not even for you, for the whole class. Because here, yeah, your governor was, is a good person. Okay, I'll just let you people go. But you have to pay what obeisance, like he's God, and yet the God in heaven. Some people wake up and don't even acknowledge his existence. Some people go online and tweet that he's not real, <laughs> and say it in their families that he doesn't exist, and we're all deceiving ourselves. And they go to bed and they still wake up the next day. If it's you, can you do it? If it's you, won't you be angry? You probably just say, This one, we'll see how you wake up tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> so, these are mercies that everyone enjoys. But you, as a believer, you can acknowledge it, right? Because you know better. But you see, there's, there's a step beyond that. There are particular mercies and graces that are available for you that you will never access if you're not a broken man or a woman. And that breaking has to happen. And it's when that breaking happens that you now, you now have access. Now you are ready. You see, when this has happened to Peter, Peter was ready. Peter was not at the point where he would argue with Jesus anymore. He wasn't at the point where he could ever say that, oh yes, there's something that he will do for the Lord. Now he was at the point where it was now about what the Lord wants him to, want to do. So now he was the perfect vessel. He was ready. And that is what we all need to to be. You have to just experience that season of breaking. It must happen to you. I want to show you a perfect picture of breaking in the book of Matthew. Then we'll stand up and we'll pray. Let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6. No, sorry. Mark. Mark 6. Mark 6. I'll read from verse 37 to 44. And he answered and said unto them, Give ye them to eat. And they said unto him, Shall we go and buy 200 penny worth of bread and give them to eat? And he saith unto them, How many loaves have ye? Go and see. And And when they knew, they say, Five and two fishes. And he commanded them to make them sit down by companies upon the grass. And they sat down in the ranks by hundreds and by fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fishes, he looked up to heaven and blessed and break the loaves, and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fish divided he among them all, and they did eat and were filled. And he took up twelve baskets full of the fragments and of the fishes, and they that did eat of the loaves were about five thousand men. Amen. A lot of times, if you read this story, You might look at it as simply a story of provision and not blessing. But I want to show you something different here, today. You see, in this story, in a lot of ways, we are the bread and the fish. We are what? The bread and the fish. In the state that you are believing in yourself, all you are is a little boy's lunch say, it what? It's a little boy's lunch. In the state that you are, what I mean by that is, all the belief in yourself that you have, all the abilities that you think you have, all the things that you think you can do, in terms of the impact that it will make in eternity on this earth, it's nothing. It's what? It's nothing. God wanted to make Peter into someone that we'll be talking about till tomorrow, and we're still talking about him till what? Tomorrow. Because after Jesus, you will mention Peter and Paul, right? The Peter we are reading about that was saying, "Lord, no matter what, I will not." It's not the Peter that Peter could only what feed one little boy. He was a little boy's lunch. The same way, whatever you think is good about you, is a little boy's lunch. But you see, when that bread and fish entered the hand of what? Of Jesus. And he broke it. He fed 5,000 men. And they're not even counting the women and the children. What God wants to do with you is more than you can ever imagine. Hmm? The impact that he wants to make with individual lives and the things that he wants to use you to accomplish for himself and for eternity. And not the concepts that you have in your head of where you want your career to be. Or your five-year plan. Or any of that nonsense that you carry on your head. It's not that. All those things that you have are just what? A little boy's launch. No impact. Zeros. Nothing. If only you can place yourself in the hands of, of Jesus and let him break you. It's not be a pretty experience, but you see, you will feed, what, 5,000. It is only such a person that can actually do exploits for God. Until that bread entered Jesus' hand, it was just bread, You have to submit yourself to what? To his hands. And let him do that job. Let him take that thing and turn it to nothing. So he can actually walk through you. If not, you just keep struggling. You keep struggling and you will not experience his mercy. You won't experience his mercy. Not because he's not willing to give it, but because you are still you are still in the level of me. It is I, I can. You still think that there's something that makes you important to God, something you can do. There's nothing. There's what? Nothing. Peter said, all flesh is like grass. Now with Away, It's nothing. When you hear the experiences of people that come into this world and the next minute they blinked out of existence. We don't need to hear disaster for us to appreciate life. Why do we always have to hear these bad things happening before we remember that God is good and we have to submit ourselves to him? Why does he have to get to that point? Why can't we reflect on our own? And let him do what he wants to do with us? Why don't we voluntarily place ourselves in his hands so that he can work on us and break us and mold us into who he wants us to be? And that scripture says that we are clay in the hand of the potter, right? Have you, have you done clay work before? I did it in secondary school because I did find out it's not easy though, because when you get a hard chunk of clay, you now what? You now break it. You break it, pour water, and you now knead and knead and knead and knead before you now actually start molding it into whatever thing you want it to become. Do you think the clay is enjoying it? No. That's the picture of man and God. But you see, even that is an act of what? Of mercy, because until you place yourself into the potter's hands, you are just a rock that people are what are kicking about. You have no function and no use. But you see, when that master potter is done with it and he makes a bowl, or he makes a cup, or he makes a plate, nobody can just pick up that plate and kick it about. They say, "What's wrong with this one? Can't you see that this thing is valuable?" Right? So why would we be satisfied just being rock? God has created this world. And God has the same process for almost everything. And we human beings, we think it's science. We think it's ingenuity. It's not. We got it from God. God. Because it's how he set up what the world. How come that almost everything that is precious in this world today has to pass through some form of suffering? Before you get gold, it has to pass through fire. Before you get diamonds from coal, or from, what, what happens? It has to become carbon. You have to refine it. How come every precious thing that the world says is precious has to go through some form of what refinement, pain, suffering, brokenness, because he has no value until that happens to them. Where did we get it from? It's God. Because that's what he's supposed to do with us. We have to let him. Amen. Let him break you. In every area of your life. Every. Let him do it. If not, you'll never experience mercy in that area. You'll just be struggling. Scripture says that in a house, there are many vessels. There are vessels of gold, there are vessels of clay, there are vessels of iron, there are vessels of silver. I was teaching Bible study, and one of the things I said and I was teaching Bible study and I was teaching about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I was talking about how there's an Old Testament picture of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it's the story of the prophet and the woman that had nothing except oil. She was, what, impoverished. She was about to lose her children. when she met with God's servant. And God's servant said, what do you have in your house? And she said, she has hijab oil. And what did he say? He said, he said she should go out, borrow jars from her neighbors and everybody. And the prophet spoke a word and said, as long as she has vessels for that oil to be in, the oil will never run out. But as soon as the vessels end, the oil will also cease. And that's what happened. And that's a picture of what the Holy Spirit does to us. We can never have all of the Holy Spirit. He is God is how much of ourselves we give to him that he was. He fills up. That's the spiritual principle. Which also means that the kind of vessel that you are in the house of God is really, really dependent on how much of yourself you have placed in his hands for him to actually mold. You see, if you are keeping something away, if you are keeping your family away, if you are keeping your finances away, if you are keeping your marriage away or your relationship away, you're keeping your career or your profession away. You're keeping your friendships away. If you are afraid that God will ask you to give up something in an area of your life that you're not ready to give up, and so you're keeping it away from Him, saying is you don't want the best from Him in that area. And you will never experience His mercy. And whatever happens to you in that area of your life, even if you're a Christian and you're speaking in tongues, is your fault. It's not going to be. Because God does not want to have mercy on you. The Bible says his mercies are new every morning. And greatest is what? His faithfulness. It will be your fault. So this morning, I want you to open your mouth. And I want you to talk to God. We sing a lot of I surrender songs. But we don't really surrender. I want you to say it to him and I want you to minute this time. And say, Lord... This area of my life. Mention the area to him. I am surrendering that one to you today. I am giving it to you. For you to break it. And mold it into what you want it to be. I want you to open your mouth and pray. Pray loudly. This is not a quiet prayer. I want you to open your mouth and I want you to say to God. Lord, this area. Mention that area. I have been keeping it away from you. I have been holding it back from you. I have not given it to you so that you can break it. And Lord, I am giving it to you today. So that I can experience your mercies in this area of your life. So that I experience your mercies, Lord. So that your presence will not be far from me. So that I will not lack your presence in this area of my life. I stop holding it to myself and I give it to you. I stop holding it to myself and I give it to you today in the name of Jesus. I invite you in the name of Jesus. Mazatasi briefu tashaya. Hm. Is a reskede varabaza batash and daskata. Invitation braskatosha, barabasitasa. Ivan da reskede boskotosha. Ivataskara voskotosham mm. biskete. Ivataskara barabasha brahaskara is a frisket a buskotushin daskada, if we sendig the bashin drahas a tashada, if we fruskoda basha brahas a gara freskatecha, is a handa garavoshin brahas a gara tishkatecha, Ivataya a fraskara vushin brahas a gara tishkatecha, if a tayabara vashem brahaskara, if a shayadanda has a fraskatashambaskada, is a frisket a baskada, if we sendig the buskatanda gaskada tishkatecha, in Jesus' name, we are prayed. For some of us, you have too much self in you. Too much what? Self. You're too self-absorbed. You're too caught up in your own life and your own stuff. You're too obsessed with yourself and your dreams and your goals and your plans and your, on your, the things you want to do. You need to be free from yourself because you see, self will destroy you. It will what? It will destroy you. Please don't believe the messages that you hear that are not that are very motivational and self-serving. They are lies. They are perpetrating lies, and the people that preach those messages are coming with the spirit of the last days. It's the spirit of the antichrist that. That is inspiring men and women to teach people to look to themselves, to look inward rather than to look up. Amen. You need to be free from what? From yourself. Blame the devil for a lot of things. The devil self, his influences, you make it so easy for him. You make it what? Easy for him. Because you are so obsessed with you and what you want and what you want to do and what your plans are. Your, and your achievements and your goals. And you've never for once meditated more than maybe when we come to church or a few moments about what God wants and what demands what God demands from you. It's time to take action. The messages that we've preached on this altar for the length of time that some of us have been here is enough for some people to start their own churches. Amen. Amen. I was teaching yesterday in Bible school. One of the things that I was, I was talking to Bela about when I was teaching him because we're talking about Paul and we'll pray about self after this. We're talking about Paul and we're talking about how when Paul, in the book of Acts, he came to the house of Philip the evangelist and Agabus the prophet and he tied his hand with the belt. Agabus tied his hand with the belt and said, whoever owns this belt, when the person enters Rome, this is how they will bring him inside Rome. Just prophesying Paul's arrest in Rome, Right? And then the disciples were trying to convince Paul not to go. And Paul said, he's going to go. And then I was discussing, and was like, can't can that be seen as stubborn? I'm like, well, on the surface, you and I will say that he's what? Stubborn. That that's a warning of what? Of danger. That God is trying to save his what? His life. But I said, you need to understand the heart that Paul had and these apostles had. They thought Jesus was coming tomorrow. These people were not living their lives like one day, 2,000 plus years after, there'll be a Bible. If they knew that it was going to take that long, this Bible might even be more than this. They might have written more. They didn't chronicle their lives. What we have in this Bible are simply letters and accounts that some people wrote for what? For the church. In their mind, their lifetime will not have ended before the Lord returns. And it was that zeal that consumed Paul, that Paul said to himself, You see these Romans, I must preach to them, they must hear what this message before the Lord comes, because He's coming quickly. And how can he come? And this entire entirety of Rome is not saved. And twice Paul had the opportunity to escape this thing. Because Paul was a Roman citizen, because he came from Tarsus. And Tarsus was a colony of Rome. And if you are born in a colony of Rome, you have Roman citizenship. And at some point in Paul's arrest, one of the people that arrested Paul said, this thing is not that deep. Like, you are a what? You are a Roman. Are you sure that you want to go to Caesar? And Paul said, yes, I want to go and testify before Caesar. It wasn't about his life. It wasn't that he could not escape, in quotes, that trouble or that arrest. It was the fact that Paul wanted to go and preach to who? To Caesar. Who was considered to be a god at his time. And if an arrest is the only thing that will get him before Caesar, then an arrest it is. But you see, for you, you've been hearing that Jesus has been, is coming soon, since the day you were born. Probably if you're in the Christian home. Or since the day you entered Christianity, and it's been years. So you've relaxed about it. So, all that is in your mind is your life and your stuff. And occasionally, you use God as the extra. God is the side dish. God is the appetizer after, after before the main meal. He's not the main thing. And what we don't understand is that how we will be judged in eternity. It's not based on all the things that you think because you see, once your clock ends in this life, you have no more opportunity to do anything for God anymore. Your account has closed. And the ironic thing is this God does not even need you or me. He doesn't. Because people wake up in their rooms and nobody preaches to them and they start crying and they give their lives to Jesus. Who preach to them? The Holy Spirit is going around doing the work because people have refused to do it anyway. Don't actually need you, but you sit in your high horse because you are so consumed with self and you think that you're important to God. God needs to save you from self, yeah. and you also need to help the Holy Spirit to save you from what from yourself because we can't continue like this as a church, and I mean the body of Christ can't continue like this. Can't. What are you doing for him? What has consumed you about his work and his things that is on your heart that doesn't make you sleep at night? If you're not there yet, something is wrong. If all the imaginations and calculations in your heart have to do with when you're going to get your next promotion, or how you're going to change the job, or how you're going to buy a new this or how you're going to get married, or you're going to do this, I you're going to do that, What's the next step of progress in this, that, and that? So that one day they will invite you for a TED talk or they invite you for a seminar on Twitter and you can sprinkle God around it and say, Oh, yes, and I believe in God and I trust in God. But 80% of the talk is how you use the eight or seven steps that you did to get to what you wanted to do. And that is the Christian life that you want to live. You are a failure. It doesn't work that way. We're too obsessed with ourselves. I've never spoken to you people like this before. How so I'm being moved that I'm really speaking to you like this today. Because you need to talk to yourself. And I want you to open your mouth and I want you to pray. And tell God that, Lord, help me not to destroy myself. Everything in me that would destroy me, take it away from me. In the name of Jesus. Open your mouth and pray isakeske de bara Garabaskara Discetasha and Baskarash and Daskara in the Hiska de Boskotoshan Disketayagada, if a sanda gara. a Busco Toya Taya Gada, the Voshundo Goda Buscotoya Tayagada, the Vos Goda Buscotoya Taya Gada, the Voshundo Broscotoya Tayagada. In Jesus' name we are prayed. Father, we thank you, we give you praise, we worship you for today. Thank you for all that you've spoken to us. Lord, help us all to be recipients of your mercy. But every 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 area of our lives that you've reserved mercy for us, that our self-serving, our boosting, our pride in ourselves and our own lives has taken away from us. Father, break us in Jesus' name. Break every single person here in Jesus' name. That we may see the depravity of self and turn our hearts to you alone. That we will not look inward or look below, but that our eyes will be focused on you above, always. In Jesus' name, read. Amen. Amen. Amen.